Congregation, the text for this morning's our sermon is from John 20, the verses 21 through 23. John 20, verse 21 through 23. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So far. Congregation, this morning we hear about the fifth appearance of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. The fifth appearance. With the help of the Lord, four thoughts. Jesus assembled with the disciples. Secondly, Jesus speaking to the disciples. In the third place, Jesus breathing on the disciples. And in the fourth place, Jesus giving authority to the disciples. So the fifth appearance of Jesus. Jesus assembled. We read, then said Jesus to them again, but how can he say something if he has not appeared yet? So that's first he appeared to them. Secondly, he's speaking to them. Peace be unto you. In the third place, Jesus breathing on the disciples. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And in the fourth place, Jesus giving authority to the disciples. Whose souls have sins you remit, they are remitted again. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Congregation, young people, it is still on that first day of the week, the resurrection day, the Sunday, we would say, that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. His Father woke him up. He also rose himself. It was a special day, and we celebrate that day every Sunday. Every Sunday, we think of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And on the first day, he appeared five times. Five times. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, to the apostle Peter somewhere, to the two men traveling to Emmaus, and also to the disciples together when they were in that 
a broom. Thomas being absent. We think that they had gathered again into that same room in Jerusalem, probably owned by John Mark, probably on the first level of the first level of the of the house, and they were dead scared. I don't say that too strong. They're so frightened. Those disciples, they're trembling. Why? Should they not believe? Why do they tremble? Why are they so scared? Why did they lock the doors? Why are they afraid that someone will enter in? Well, I think it's no wonder. Even the Lord Jesus told them that the people would hate them. John 15. If he were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Hateth you. They knew that. And remember also the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So that was on their mind. The world is hating us. And they have persecuted our master. They will persecute us as well. Or John 16. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the day cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. So some people will just be happy to kill you and think that they're doing well. Oh, verily, verily, the Lord Jesus said, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world, the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. So in that room, upper room, with John Mark, frightened, trembling, is the door locked? Are all the bolts locked? They realize that they are the next targets. Realize that they will come after them. Therefore, they are not at ease. In the meantime, it has also become dark outside. So they must have some oil lamps or candles, some light. They're scared and traumatized, I would say. They also have seen too much. They've seen those soldiers, so those Roman soldiers coming marching in into the garden and capturing the Lord Jesus. And they've seen the sword of the Apostle Peter. 
And they remember that all the people fell backwards. So it's all in their mind, yeah. They're disturbed and confused. Of course, they were terrified. And yet, they were together. They did not all individually go home like Thomas did. That would have been safer, right? It is safe if they would just individually look for a place to hide. But they can't. They yet want to be together. They love one another. They have a bond. There's a holy intimacy in that circle. And yet, it's getting worse. They're frightened. Suddenly, there's someone in their midst. An extra person. And the doors are closed. How can that be? And he seems to be, he appears to be the Lord Jesus in his natural body with special faculties. So he could apparently come inside the door being closed. And they just Think it's a ghost. It's something supernatural. They're so superstitious. And they're just afraid even more. Imagine that you had a funeral and that all of a sudden the diseased person sits next to you in the pew. You would just Absolutely shocked and maybe scream. But we are used to this. But the disciples were not. They did not know that he would appear to them. So they are just so shocked, so frightened. They're terrified. We read in Luke 24. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? So they were faithful and still together, but so fearful. Yet Christ came in his love. In his faithfulness, he is in charge. He will not make it too much for the disciples. He knows exactly the time they should interfere and put them at ease. So the Lord Jesus is appealing unto them. In a very special way, he is appealing to his disciples. He is not appealing to the Roman soldiers. He is not appealing to Pontius Pilate. He's not appearing to the Sanhedrin. He's appearing to his disciples. He loves them. He's going to support them. He's going to teach them. He has not forgotten about them. They may think so. They may think that the Lord has forgotten them. They may be surprised. and They may be confused. But the Lord knows what to do. Christ came. 
he visited them. And therefore, we also learn from this that we should not stay home, right? If possible, if possible, you should come to church. Because it pleased the Lord to reveal himself when the disciples were together. He could have visited them at home as well, individually, reading the Bible. But most of the time, the Lord blesses the gospel when it's preached in the congregation, in the assembly. So Jesus appeared. Jesus also spoke to them. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. But peace. And why two times? Because he says again, right? Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. Well, what kind of peace is this? Peace I leave with you. My peace. My peace, the Lord Jesus said. My peace I give unto you. It is the peace he has made. It is the peace that comes from the Lord. It is not the peace of the world. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. We know that this peace is different from the peace of this world. It's the peace from God and for God. You know, many miss that peace. Do you? Did you ever have that true peace within? The Lord spoke, peace be unto you. God does not say that to the wicked. Does not say that to them unconverted. The peace is preached unto them. The peace is offered unto them. But the peace is not there yet. There is no peace, say the Lord, unto the wicked. There is no peace unto the wicked. True peace is also a false peace then? Oh, yeah. There's lots of false peace. Peace about Christ, peace in the heart, that there's a false peace. They have healed, the region Jeremiah 6, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my, of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So there are lots, there's lots of doctrine out there that tells us to preach peace, peace, peace. But what did the Lord would say to me? You speak peace, but there is no peace. Don't say it slightly. But there is no peace. 
So what is that true peace? What is the true peace based upon? What is the character of that true peace? Let us study that. Let us study that. I read in Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See that? That tells us a lot about what that peace is about. It is the peace we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ if we are justified by faith. That believing, that truly believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior, giving yourself over unto him, that is the true peace. And if you don't know about that being justified by faith, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, if you miss that peace, then you have no real peace. That true peace also goes together with being spiritually minded. If you're fleshy and carnal and worldly, and hostile, the result is not peace. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Being spiritually minded with a new heart with your eye on the heavenly things, not on the things of this world. Spiritually minded. But how can we receive that peace? You would think. It is the gift of God, right? But how do we people, how do we receive that peace? It is given through the preaching of the gospel. It is not just a feeling that comes over you. You look outside, and you see the mountains, and you see the clouds, and you see the flowers, and you see the fruit trees budding, and you just feel peace. No, no, no. That's not the peace. That's not the true peace. And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So the Bible speaks about justified by faith, peace with God, and the Bible speaks about the gospel of peace. This peace is different than the earthly peace, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, that peace. 
If you may receive that peace, it just fills you up to the brim. It is so satisfying. It is so gratifying. I read in the Bible, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Did you hear that? The God of hope that gives hope may fill you with all joy and all peace in believing. The believing is so important that truly relying on the Savior preached in the gospel, believed and being justified by faith. What a peace. They were so afraid and now they're so glad. The situation is the same yet. It's still in the upper room. The doors are still closed. Outside, they're still planning to do something, I suppose. But in the hearts is now peace. It's true they may be arrested. It is true they may hate them. But they also have the peace now. Because the Lord Jesus spoke like, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Do you have, do you have a thorn in your flesh? Of some kind? Something is hurting? Something you're confused about and try to take that thorn out? Well, think of this. My peace I give unto you. Nothing else. Bill, give to the peace. But the Lord Jesus Christ, and he fills your heart. But keep in mind that our problem is not only the void and the emptiness, and you need to be filled with something, you also need to be changed. Because we are, by nature, not only poor people and empty people and desiring people and hoping people and praying people, you're also hostile people. We have no use for God. Not for the true one. Sometimes it looks like, and we like religion, of all different sorts of religion, and we like emotion, and we like doctrine maybe, but we don't love the Lord himself. And that only gives the true peace. Peace. Look, the Lord Jesus is stretching out his arms, and shows his hands, he also showed his side, and they saw a big scar. And the disciples realized this was the real Jesus. It's kind of interesting. Luke 24. 
Behold, he said, behold, my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me, touch me, and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Anything to eat? He asked. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it. And he ate it before them. So they saw him eating. So it was not a ghost. It was not a spirit. It was Christ himself. And he said, peace unto that people. And he revealed himself to that people. You know, our congregations are known for preaching with distinctively. To distinguish. So that means that also this morning, I have a message to them that have no peace and a message to God's children. You have to differentiate. So I say to the unconverted ones, there is peace available. There is a peace you should seek after. There is a peace that is free. There is a peace that is wonderful. Seek that peace. Only peace by justification. Only peace with God. Only peace with his other mindset. Seek it. But to the believers, to God's people, I may say, peace be unto you. That's a difference, right? And if we don't distinguish, then we deceive people. If we just go on the street and say to anyone, the Lord says, peace. No, that's not biblical. He says, peace to his people. Right? What is that peace? It is that that, that calm, that quietness, that serenity, that calm within. The circumstances, as I said, may be the same and troublesome, but this peace passes all comprehension. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so sent I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus breathing on them. So the Lord Jesus continues to speak, and he says, Disciples, I was sent by my Father. My Father sent me. 
And now I sent you. I have a mission. And you have a mission. And then he blew on them. Like when you blow out a candle. She blew them in the face. So they felt the air. They felt he was breathing on them. He blew them in the face. Why is that? Well, in the Bible, we, we read the words air and breath and wind and spirit. And it's all the symbols. In the Greek, naima. Think of naimatic. Do you have naimatic tools? By, by air, it's safer, right, than by electricity. So the word naima is used also in the Bible. So he breathed on them. He gave his naima. He gave his wind. He gave his air. And what is the meaning of that? Well, wind is something strange, right? Have you seen wind? Have you seen wind? I, you can see it. You see the trees moving. You see the leaves moving. But you don't see the wind. Something invisible is still so powerful. And that is what the Lord Jesus is talking about. He will give his disciples, he will give his church the wind. Like we sometimes say, a second wind, right? So the Lord Jesus is blowing upon the disciples, giving them a wind, equipping them, calling them, telling them, that they must preach the word of God. So we see that already, we see that later in, at, at Pentecost. But this is kind of a pre-Pentecost mission. Breathe on them. As my Father has sent me, even so sent I you. And when you said this, he breathed on them and saved them to them, receive ye, the Holy Ghost. Let me fill this in a bit more. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So Adam was first made from the earth, from the clay. And then the Lord blew his spirit, his breath in him. Or Ezekiel 37, about the dry bones, right? Thus saith the Lord God, unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. 
and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. You shall know that I am the Lord. So the Lord is personally giving that, that spirit, also in the preaching. The Lord gives the disciples a special portion, a special kind of spirit in order to be able to preach the word of the living God. Because nobody can preach himself. Nobody qualifies. You know, when young men struggle with the call to the ministry, they often think, I cannot do that. I cannot pray. I cannot preach. I cannot be a pastor. And if it is not so, they think, oh, I can preach. I can do that. No problem. That tells us that they're not called. But if they cannot, they cannot preach. And they depend upon the Lord. The Lord says, I breathe it upon you. I blow it in your face, in your heart. I can equip you. Oh, then they, then they see it with the Lord's help. I love to do that. See that is also in this, in this text. It is a, a, a calling. They, they receive a calling to preach the word. The Lord Jesus received his calling too. He was sent himself. Now he's sending them. Isaiah 59. As for me, this is my covenant with them, said the Lord. My spirit that is upon me and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, say the Lord from henceforth and forever. So the Lord continues with them. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tell ye in, in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from high. So the Lord Jesus said, I breathe the wind upon you, but hold on. Wait until this Pentecost. And then I will let you go. We find it quite a few times that great commission, all the gospels kind of enter that. And we also read it in Acts 1. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So the Lord assembled with them, 
spoke to them, breathed upon them, also gives authority to, to them. Congregation, now look at what it says in verse 23. That is amazing. How is that possible? Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So the Lord is talking to his disciples and he tells them, if you forgive people, they're forgiven. And if ye preach condemnation to them, they will, they will, they will, they will be condemned. Is that not too much honor for the servants of God? Can they forgive sins? No, they cannot. Only God can. But we can pronounce someone dead. And we can pronounce someone alive. There are two keys of the kingdom. Remember? The key of censure and the key of the preaching. And what is that key of the preaching as we see in the Heidelberg Catechism? Well, we read there that in the preaching, I summarize it, in the preaching it is declared and publicly testified that all believers have their sins really forgiven. And unbelievers stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation. So the Lord is reminding the disciples that something very serious is happening when they preach the word. It is something very serious. It is kind of a court case. Every sermon, every worship service is a kind of court case. And in the court case is someone accusing. In the court case is someone the advocate. And in the court case is also a judge. Right? And so the disciples are called to also pronounce someone guilty or pronounce someone forgiven. We also read that in Matthew 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So let me try to bring that closer. This morning I have a special message for my unconverted friends who are without God, have no true peace, have no true faith, 
I'm not in Christ. And I must tell you something. You are exposed to the wrath of God. You're under the curse. You're not in a good relationship with the Lord. You are dead. And when you go home, I hope you tremble inside. And you feel I'm exposed to the wrath of God. Like you see in the last verses of John 3, the wrath that remaineth on you. I'm just wondering if you can live that way. You can die that way. Have you seen people dying? Have you seen people struggling on their deathbed? Not being able to say a word about their soul. Just so fearful. Reverend, I cannot die. I'm not prepared. I don't know what to do. And then they slip away. They go. How would you feel if you would be on your, on, on your deathbed today? Would you have something of that peace? That peace in believing? That peace of God? That peace of the gospel? That peace of justified by faith? Having peace with God? No, God's people don't always have that. But they sometimes do. And sometimes on the deathbed, it can be so clear. And also, have you discovered what an enemy you are of God? Did the Lord strip you from all your self-righteousness? Did the Lord discover you? And did you have to become honest with yourself? And did you admit to the Lord your sins? And confess them before him. And did you also see something, hear something of Christ? And did your heart go out unto him? And did you touch the hem of his garment? Did you seek your salvation only in him? Then your sins are forgiven. I don't say, I hope you may believe that. I don't say, I wish you could feel that. I'm just saying positively, it is so. They are forgiven. The Lord has forgiven his people. So have you filed for bankruptcy? Have you admitted that there's nothing in you that can pay the price? You know, as I said before, the problem is not the void and the emptiness and the guilt. We are hostile. We need to have a change so that God is our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be something to stand before the judgment seat of God with terror. We're so fearful to die. Think about it. So fearful to die and not be able to die.
So seeing that peace in the Lord Jesus Christ, he had no peace on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No peace. He wanted to give that peace away to sinners. Young friends, children, do you know what that peace is? Something is calm and sweet, you know, and whatever happens, it's all good. And that you rest and rely on the Lord only. That is what you need. So, repeat your sins before the Lord. The Bible says, confess them. In Greek it says, homo logio. Homo means self, right? Self. Again. So, to say it over and over, to speak it exactly the way it is, so tell the Lord the truth. Your vile sin, your gross sin, your sins of youth, whatever it is. And bring it before him. Because he is a God who has never said, seek me in vain. So congregation, one or the other, you, all, you, you pick for yourself, be honest. You're still exposed to the wrath of one. Or you have been forgiven. Nothing in between. Amen.